Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Welcome, friends, to the second segment here of uh, On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial uh, by uh, podcast or um, two, almost three years of podcast and uh, also by uh, iTunes. And we are interviewing today in back here in the old caboose. We're all comfy, uh, enjoying it as we roll along the countryside with uh, Brad Schwarzwelter who is a, a working Amtrak conductor and has fascinating views and ideas, um, not, just about the, not just about the California Zephyr, which is the train he mainly runs for Amtrak, but also with uh, railroading, passenger railroading in general. So uh, welcome to you, Brad, and welcome back to you, Rick White. Where is Thank he? He's our engineer. He's up in the engine. There he is up in the engine. Hey, Rick. <laughs> Thank you, Forrest. Things look clear on the track thus far. And part one of this interview was very good with Conductor Brad. And um, before you guys get started, I have a quick question for him. I believe it's true that we are back to five day, seven day service with Amtrak and the Zephyr. Is that correct? Yes, we are. Uh, We're very excited about that. Since May 24th of 2021, the pandemic restrictions that held us to only three days a week have come to an end, and we are running every day. We do have a bit of an abbreviated consist with only two coaches and three sleeping cars per train uh, on the Zephyr, but uh, that is because we are doing a fleet refresh with um, new seat upholstery, new carpeting, thorough deep cleaning, uh, reworking of some of the HVAC and toilet systems on our coaches and sleepers uh, for the long distance trains, the double-decker superliners. So although we might not have the capacity that we want, it is for an absolutely worthy cause as we look at making our superliners last through the 2020s. Yeah, very good. And they've been around for quite a long time. The first one came out while I was a sophomore in high school, Forrest. Wow. And of these, and I'm now a grandpa. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, one, one question right along those lines. Of these, uh, uh, what do you call it, a little bit smaller train, they just will let them sell out or will they add on if it sells out? 
uh, we will sell out and that will be it. Okay, just curious. So if we yes. want to ride in um, July, we better make reservations soon. Um, if you want to ride in 2021, make reservations soon. Ah, uh, my goodness. My goodness. So you're sold out for this July, you think? Uh, it would be hard to find a trip in July where you could still get a ticket. I'll be darned. Boy. Well, boy, that's, oh boy. that's a good thing, right? I mean... It, it is, Rick. There's a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. And what's interesting to me is that passenger railroading is slower and less frequent than flying. It is less convenient and more expensive than driving. It is um, still an absolutely top-end experience that people pay for and will do. Yeah. And to me, that tells me that we have a permanent future if we can have permanent train sets and the tracks are maintained. The people love passenger railroading, regardless of what other technologies usurp us. That is, that is certainly true. And uh, that's what we continually hear on this railroad show. People who, they, they realize, I mean, the woman we had on, uh, Dixie, uh, last week. I mean, she she knows full well that she could save some money if she'd taken an airplane to San Francisco from Denver. But uh, she'll take the train every time, just 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 to have it happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's certainly true, and I think it's going to be more so, as you say, once we get to really get these passenger cars working and up to snuff. Boy, that, yes. that we're, look out airlines. No, no, the airlines, the airlines don't care. And um, we don't know if the class one railroads, they have different views of the thing, I'm sure. Um, I noticed that in the trans, big transportation bill that just came out of the U.S. House not long ago, that there's a whole section in there allowing Amtrak to, uh, to sue the class one railroads. And I thought, well, that's, I don't know, that's an interesting change. I, I don't think Amtrak has ever done that or been able to do that, but that's. We have, we have, um, and, and we always win, but that is not what you want to do with your host railroad. You want to be a partner and um, be a part of each other's success rather than yes. have an adversarial us versus them opinion uh, to somebody that you absolutely depend on. And quite frankly, they're required to let us run because of the land grant system that they got the dirt, uh, the, the real estate with. So yeah, we, we can sue them. We sure would like to find a better way to do it. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, for all of the strains that we have in our relationship with Russia, it's still a whole lot better than it was with the Cold War. And I like to think of, of our relationship with our host railroads more as, as a, a partnership rather than a Cold War where it's us versus them. Well, a big change here in Colorado, uh, well, I don't know, a big change, but a change certainly is that... Uh, the, the, the class one railroads 
have representatives now on the Colorado Railroad Board. I'm sure you followed that. Yes. And Jim, um, Jim uh, Sobey, who is on that, that board, uh, was on this show not long ago saying, we're working with him. We're trying to work with the class ones. Of and course. the representatives are sitting there in the room from the BNSF, uh, from the UP, and um, from some of the smaller railroads too. So well, and, let's and, hope and, that's the, the wave of the future. Well, and put your mind into the place of a railroad executive. Uh, in 2008, they were running coal trains as fast as they could, and they were overwhelmed with demand, and the passenger trains were in the way, and we were struggling to run Amtrak in the face of that enormous volume. Since then, because of the Clean Air Act primarily and, and other things, uh, the number of coal trains has decreased greatly, especially on railroads like the Moffat subdivision of the Union Pacific. Um, uh, and, and because of that, the capacity on the rail system to handle passenger trains is a whole lot easier to maintain now than no. it was. So uh. we're, uh, uh, as we try to move forward politically to create new corridors, for example, Front Range Rail, with which Jim Subi is so instrumental in. Uh, that uh, that door is far more open today than it was a decade ago. Mm. Wow. Yes, indeed, which is really exciting. And um, now I, <laughs> I can imagine that those meetings are much, much more cordial than, let's say, back in my day on that, on the Colorado State Railway Commission, which in those days, interestingly enough, was called the Rocky Mountain State Railway Commission because we had thought we'd eventually get down into New Mexico. And, and only now are they beginning to open that possibility of yeah. getting New Mexico in on the thing. And um, so that's pretty exciting too, both geographically and having, we, we had, I won't go into any specifics, but we certainly did not get cooperation from the class one railways back in my day, which is a hundred years ago, but they did not, they were invited to send reps, but they did not send reps to, to, to the rail commission. And as you say, Subi, uh, he has reached out to them and got them as, as full members, True. which is, is, that's pretty exciting right there. I, and, I, uh, I absolutely think it's exciting. And, uh, where will it go? It's, it's hard to say, but, uh, you know, our job at Amtrak is to take this, this extremely precious and valuable thing that we get from the class ones, which is a slot on the railway, and make the very best we possibly can out of it uh, so that the American public, the, the employees, the passengers, all of us can take great pride in our American long distance passenger trains. Yeah, I think that's coming, and um, yeah, and I and I I would imagine the local dispatchers and so on are aware of that. They're wanting to get us places on time. I think, I think, um, I, I I agree with you. I think they do. We're we're struggling with, you know, the possibility that maybe we're getting a little timid. 
Um, we're facing uh, heat slow orders like we've never seen before, uh, simply because of the fear that possibly there would be a thermal misalignment and a derailment. Um, and so the railroads are, are delaying us uh, brutally, uh, especially through these hot summer months. And we never used to do that before. The temperatures might be a little warmer, but not much. So my fear isn't so much their willingness to run them. My fear is that they're losing the courage to run us effectively. Yeah. And how do we do that? How do we? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. let me give you an example. Because I think. Let, let me point it out. Y yesterday, on this effort between Grand Junction and Denver, we took a little more than three and a half hours of delay because of heat orders. Wow. The one area where we had no heat order slowdowns was between uh, a control point called Bond and the town of Kremlin, Colorado. We were able to go track speed there. The difference is that those tracks had a tremendous upgrade a few years ago where the rail and concrete ties were installed. So it's a much better roadbed than where we simply have the old wooden ties with spikes that are in the, in the lumber. Uh, so infrastructure expense is vital to punctual passenger train performance. There is money, according to uh, um, Sobe, why there is, there is money in the infrastructure bill that's still apparently sitting in the U.S. Senate. It hasn't moved much lately, but um, he says there's money for track improvement, yes. which I guess the class ones, if they want to, probably can just take advantage of. There's a few things in that bill that I've read, and I don't know it cold, so don't quote me on it, but I believe that there's it's not just flat out giveaways. It's more like uh, loan loans and, and lots of red tape involved with it. Yeah. So it's not free money. Um, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a student loan. You know, it's great. Oh, but then you graduate and you got to pay it back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's really true. Um, How interesting. But, but. Can I talk about the hospitality side of what we're thinking yes, about? Yes, let's talk world? about the hospitality. We haven't even gotten to that because when we get on the California Zephyr sometime, probably this fall, why we'll want to use our Amtrak points and maybe even get a bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, do wouldn't it. that be a luxury? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. And well, um, what's going to happen there? Red carpet in, in, we'll probably get on in Glenwood Springs. Red carpet in Glenwood Springs? Well, I don't know if we'll go with the red carpet, but uh, um, there's, there's several of us employees who aren't completely thrilled with the, the quality and level and, and diversity of service that we offer on Amtrak's long distance trains right now. So we formed a group called the California Zephyr Service Improvement Committee. And uh, we formed it a few weeks ago, a few months ago now. And our idea was that we employees wanted to have a train that was spotlessly clean, fully functional, and absolutely delightful for all passengers, regardless of the level of service that they purchase with their ticket. And 
so we reached out through uh, one of our locomotive engineers, a fellow named Gerard Lang, to Bill Flynn, the CEO of Amtrak. And he responded. And we've had a dialogue going ever since. And we've been putting out several ideas uh, that, that sort of focus on the idea of each long distance train representing uh, almost a standalone business within the larger company. But the idea is that as a passenger, if our ideas come to fruition, a ride on the Zephyr will be as safe and as clean and as functional as any other train. But the flavor of the train will represent uh, the land that it goes through. So, for example, just, just looking at the food, as you leave Chicago, you could have an Omaha steak and Iowa corn on the cob. And, and then as you go across the Rockies for lunch, you could have stuffed trout. and, yeah, and Trout you, for the Rockies. That's right. And, and, and as you go over the, the Sierra Nevada, perhaps you'd, you'd have a Pacific salmon. And, and if you took the city of New Orleans, maybe there would be uh, shrimp gumbo uh, or something of that sort. And each train would have an absolutely powerfully um, uh, enacted leader of that train uh, service to be able to respond to what customers in that market want. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we've gotten some good conversation with the guys at the very top who are making the decisions. And uh, it's, it's heady times. And you were talking about the transportation bill and the funding. And rarely in Amtrak's history, a few times, but not often, we've had a situation where the stars aligned, the money was there, and we could go out and improve rather than merely survive. Right now is one of those times. And so we have to strike while the iron's hot. If we want the trains to be something that all of America can be proud of, we have to do it now. If we want the trains to be something that will draw the entire world to our country as tourists, we have to put that product together now. Yeah. If we want to survive in the next generation or the generation X, Y, and Alpha, want to ride our trains, we have to give them the trains that they are going to want then and we have to start building them now. And so there's a tremendous amount of urgency on us because those political winds do not last long. The day will come, and it won't be very long, when the door is closed to the opportunity to improve, and we will be back in survival mode. And survival mode is never any fun. It's not it's the way I want to run the railroad. Um, no. And, and I'm, I'm just so optimistic that we can do this. And I've met the leadership uh, that's in charge. Uh, we have a, a fellow vice president named Larry Chesler in charge of long distance trains. Uh, and, and he's got uh, a fellow, uh, Federico Gazzolo. And, and these, these people are truly interested in making the trains the best they can be. And, and what's fun is, We've already spent the big money. Simply by running the train, we have locomotives, we're paying for fuel, we're paying the host railroads to run the trains. We're, we're spending all the big money. We have the stations in place. We are paying the train and engine crews, which are hideously overpaid, but still, that, that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, okay, we heard um, that one. <laughs> the, the point is, 
that to spend that little bit more money to put out a tremendous product that will actually have far greater return on investment than the cost makes all the sense in the world uh, because we've already spent all that big money. Let's spend a little more, really do it right and watch the dollars flow from revenue rather than cutting cost. It's a new way of thinking. And I believe that the top leadership from Bill Flynn down understands, believes, and is excited about these concepts. Yes. Well, Bill Flynn is a, is a convert. Uh, You know, he used to work for the airline industry. Yeah. Yeah. He is a convert to passenger trades. But his family is railroaders. His, yeah. I, I believe it was his father or maybe his grandfather were, uh, they were railroaders. So we've got a president of Amtrak who's got family history, who's, uh, we, uh, I have a hunch, maybe even going to ride a long distance train here at some point, which was the question that the, our group, which is the Colorado CalRail, Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers, uh, we always put in a plug for that, join CalRail, Cost you sure. 15 bucks a year. Uh, you get your own volunteer lobbyists who sometimes have some success. Um, although it's a little, it's a little scary. The one time I went, you're the, you're you're number 15 on the list of lobbyists behind the motor carriers, behind the auto dealers, behind the service stations, behind the gas producer. You're, you're way down there. You finally get to say, well, you know, you can also take a train. Thank you. Moving on, <laughs> yeah. but what I'd say is is um, uh, join join Colorail. It's 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 kind of an exciting group, and um, I think maybe having a little bit of impact um, over the over the years. Uh, I, I hope so. Like it sounds like your committee is, is going to have some impact too. Well, our our committee is very small. We're mostly just employees, uh, and uh, honestly, we, we look at nuts and bolts where Colorail is looking at the big picture. Yeah. So uh, kind of two different mission statements. But uh, we, you know, all of us that work at Amtrak in Denver are 100% supportive of every effort by Colorail and, uh, and the work that they've done. And, well, for example, there would be no ski train without Colorail. Uh, there could very well be no RTD regional rail trains without Colorail. Uh, Amtrak might not stop at Denver Union Station if there were no Colorail. It's a great group, and I owe a tremendous amount of gratitude to them simply for my career, let alone um, the ability to get to ride the trains myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we shouldn't discourage people, what you were saying earlier about making reservations. We shouldn't discourage people from, from, from calling Amtrak to see, even with the shortened trains, if there is availability because people do cancel. Oh, of know, course. They, By all means, try. Get on a wait list. Do what you pick the day you want and try. By all means. Um, no. I, I just don't want to be overly optimistic. I have one fellow who was on the train a couple of days ago who said that he had looked at seven days in a row until he found a day he could get a trip on it. Mm, wow. So, and let me tell you who's good about that. If you call and 
um, get through to an Amtrak operator. Now they're they're not. There used to be a lot of them. There are not many now, but there still some there. And just wait a bit. They have the big board in front of them, and they will. They are very nice about it. They'll look through there, and they'll and they will f- eventually uh, find you something. Sure. And um, so that that's that's kind of neat. You just give them your give them your um, Amtrak number, uh, so you're sure to get your points. You know, everybody's getting Amtrak points these days. And um, that's that also is cuts down on the frustration uh, quite a little bit. And um, well, we do have some other listener questions. And since I since I wasn't able to get the video back, I have no idea what our engineer is doing. I assume he's still up there in the up in the head end of this train. Uh, Rick, are you still up there? Yeah, everything looks fine up here for us, but we're kind of getting quickly to the end. You've got uh, just a couple more minutes, and let's let's wrap up part two. Well, we're, we're and let's get Brad back again to yeah. answer some some of these further questions. Um, I think we've answered many of the big ones, at least. Um, uh, one just real quick one that we've got here, which is. Uh, how long are we stopping in Glenwood Springs these days? I assume not long. I assume it's just off and on there. Yes, yeah, five minutes. Five minutes stop. Just long enough for us to do baggage. Click in the uh, up to 100 people that get on at that beautiful town and then get back on our way. Uh, folks can enjoy a cigarette if they are so inclined on the platform. And uh, it's, it's, you know, just five minutes. And same question for Albuquerque which you may not know off the top of your head. Uh, Albuquerque, I don't know, but I do believe it's a service stop. So I think it, it would be a full 20 minutes, but don't quote me on that. No, we won't. Don't we, won't. That train. we don't want to leave anybody there. And uh, that's happened to some people who listen to this show. Oh my yes. goodness. Any, yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we're down to two minutes, according to Rick. So let's in the, in the well, we've got two minutes to go. Do you have any wrap up? How is life being a long-time conductor now for passenger work um, for Amtrak? How are you feeling in general? Well, I'll tell you, I'm feeling good. These are heady days for us. These are good days. These are days of optimism. Yep. And uh, and I want to quote a friend of mine real quickly. His name's Tim Knoll. He's been a car attendant in the coaches on the Zephyr for three decades. And uh, we recently had him featured on a radio show on, uh, on Colorado Public Radio, the uh, NPR affiliate. And he said, I clean toilets on a train, but it's on a train. And <laughs> I love what I do. And it's as, almost as if I've never had to work a day in my life because it's that fun. <laughs> I love it. Wow. And I thought That's about super. that and I thought, you know, Tim, you're right. That's the way I feel, too. Um, oh, and, and that's, that's the magic of railroading. It, it is magic. And, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we have listeners to this show who listen every week just cause it's a fantasy, you know, um, that they, then they're planning their fantasy trips. It's too bad. Amtrak doesn't have any website where you can get a system wide timetable, uh, but uh, maybe they'll get there. But uh, it, that makes it a little hard. To, but you've got fantasies out there. My goodness, we've got one gentleman who called in not, not long ago. He has fantasy trips for the next 20 years. <laughs> all, all planned. That's oh, a big boy. bucket list. Yeah. Oh, boy. 
All right. Brad, thank you so much. Uh, we're we're going to sign off now. And how do you sign off from the caboose? You look out the back. Well, you find the fusees. Fusees are under the seat back there. You pop the head of the fusee, and now you've got a bright red flare. You throw that off, not, not onto the right-of-way. You throw it right onto the gravel along next to the right-of-way so that you don't start a forest fire. And then you look out the back. And then you, all on the count of three, thank Brad again for being on the show here on the Rails KHEN. And you give a great big highball. One, two, three. Highball! 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 Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahan and Little Red Hen – Just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida.